New details now on the men convicted of kidnapping and murdering two best friends from Hamtramck. Judge Vonda Evans called Reginald Brown an architect of death and sentenced him to mandatory life in prison for the murders of Ashley Conaway and Abria Brown last winter. He also got between 20 and 50 years for torture and up to 15 years for unlawful imprisonment. Ashley Conaway's sister said even if all the men received life sentences, it will do little to comfort her and her family. You, sir, have are a prime example of nurture versus nature. Nurturally, you somewhere through your 20 block radius, through your Brightmore uh, navigation, got real twisted. I can hear intelligence all through you. I can feel the understanding of God from you. But in terms of master, what you created, what you founded, what you established, sir, you could have went a whole nother route. Welcome to No Tears for Black Girls, a true crime podcast with a purpose. Created and written by John Reedberg, this episode is narrated by Kitson Wells. Be sure to follow us on social media and listen wherever podcasts are streamed. Stay safe and stay blessed. Detective Mallory Hardy thought of the murdered girls, their women, as she put together the task force in the interrogation room. Her jaw tightened as she looked over the file one last time. Abrea Brown, 18 years old, and Ashley Conaway, 22 years old, had gone missing from their Hamtramck home late last week. When no one answered the door, the family called the police only to discover the terrible truth. According to the witnesses who had seen the events, two men had forced the girls into a car at gunpoint. It had happened in the early morning hours, while the neighborhood was still quiet and the sun had yet to rise. Mallory ran her finger along the edge of the file, her mind racing. It had already been five days since their disappearance, and the police had yet to make an arrest. Mallory had worked in the homicide division for many years, and she knew that time was the enemy. Every minute that passed made it more difficult to apprehend the suspects. Mallory had assembled a team of seasoned detectives. They had been working to locate the girls and the men responsible for their abduction. As she looked around the room, she realized that this was the best group of men and women she had ever had the privilege to work with. She reminded them of the stakes. We can't afford to make any mistakes. We need to be diligent and thorough in this investigation. We need to bring these men to justice and hopefully bring Abria and Ashley back home. The team nodded and the room fell silent. Mallory knew they were all thinking the same thing. How had this happened? Mallory looked around the table. Let's start with what we know. They charged five men with the abduction and slayings of two Michigan women who were kidnapped and stuffed in a car trunk at gunpoint, said Mallory, as she suggested starting with what they know and looked around the table. She explained that they charged the men in the deaths of Abrea Brown and Ashley Conaway, who had been bound and shot in the head. The detectives scribbled down the names Mallory recited. Brandon Kane, 26. Miguel Rodriguez, 24. Reginald Brown, 24. Jeremy Brown, 19. And Brian Lee, 25. Mallory paused for a moment, her eyes
is scanning the file. We need to find out what happened to these two women. It's the only way we can bring the killers to justice. The group discussed the evidence they had gathered so far. Mallory listened as each detective described the interviews they had conducted with witnesses, family, and neighbors. One detective, John, spoke up. We know that the two women were last seen getting into a car with the five suspects. We've been able to track the car to a nearby neighborhood, but no one remembers seeing the car or the suspects. Mallory sighed. This was going to be harder than she had thought. She had hoped to find some leads, but the suspects had vanished without a trace. The detectives brainstormed ideas about how they could find the suspects and, hopefully, the missing women. Mallory scribbled down notes as the ideas flew back and forth. We need to check out surveillance footage from the area, one detective suggested. Maybe we'll get lucky and one of the suspects will show up. The group murmured in agreement. Trying was worthwhile despite the slim chance of success. We also need to canvas the area, said another detective. Someone must have seen something. Mallory nodded. Let's get started. We have to find these women and bring their perpetrators to justice. The task force began their investigation, but as the days passed, Mallory felt a growing sense of dread. She had put together the best team she could, but it seemed like they were running out of leads. Surveillance videos were exhausted and canvassing was yielding no results. Mallory turned her attention to the suspects. She had been poring over their files, but so far nothing stood out. She was wondering if they had gone underground. A breakthrough occurred on the seventh day of the investigation. A witness had come forward, telling the police that he had seen the car with the suspects the night of the abduction. He could provide them with a description of the vehicle and one suspect. Mallory and her team searched the area for the vehicle, and soon enough, they found it. Someone parked it in an abandoned lot close to the neighborhood where Abrea and Ashley were last seen. Mallory and the task force searched the car, finding evidence that linked the suspects to the crime. Inside were strands of Abrea and Ashley's hair and bloodstains on the back seat. The detectives had found their evidence and with it their suspects. They charged the five men with kidnapping and murder. When the news came out, the city was in an uproar. Everyone was relieved that justice would be served, but losing Abrea and Ashley still weighed on everyone's hearts. Mallory watched as the police took away the suspects, clenching her jaw. Mallory thought about the two young women and how someone had taken their lives, while clenching her jaw as she watched the police take away the suspects. Although justice was served, the victory seemed meaningless. Mallory felt a deep sadness as she watched the suspects being loaded into the police van. This case had taken a toll on her, and she knew that the pain of the tragedy would stay with her for a long time. In a few weeks, Mallory was to carry out the trial of those suspects. Despite her grief, Mallory promised to hear Abrea and Ashley during the trial. On the first day of court, Mallory arrived with family members in tow to give their help. She wore a navy blue business suit and a black bandana to pay tribute to Abrea and Ashley's memory. Every person in the courtroom, including each defendant with a lawyer wearing an emotionless face, looked at her when she walked in. But Mallory remained strong, even as it all unfolded. Mallory felt a surge of confidence as she took the stand during the trial. 
Her voice projected through the courtroom as she recited every detail that occurred throughout that fateful night. From Lechast's violence against Abrea and Ashley before grabbing them into his car, to how he would talk while driving towards Detroit River, where they later escaped from his vehicle just moments prior being tied up with duct tape. And seeing them wave goodbye, waving hands out car windows after turning down unknown antisocial street before disappearing forever? The impactful story delivered so powerful, almost caused some jurors overcome with tears when hearing such trauma inflicted upon two young women. Because amidst devastating grief stemming from loss, these girls also showed incredible strength, courage survival against unbeatable odds which made everyone present stop reflect, true horror happening until this very day. After delivery testimony concluded, jury raced deliberations reviewing details surrounding events determined guilt-innocence respective defendants. Justice served even greater sense responsibility will always live breeze blowing downtown streets. They gave the families of Abrea and Ashley an opportunity to voice their pain in court. Each one took a solemn vow, placing their hands on the Bible before delivering statements that recalled the sorrowful day when the girls vanished. First, Abby's mother spoke through her tears, followed by Ashley's younger brother, who stood despite his trembling sadness as he recounted his sister's disappearance. Abby's sister ended her address with deliberate words for Brandon Kane. As each family member spoke, tears streamed down many faces, a testament to the unity of emotion in this room full of collective pain because of the injustice done against these two innocent girls. When the verdict came, they found all five defendants guilty on charges of kidnapping and two counts of murder, with sentences ranging from life imprisonment to the death penalty, pending the outcome of any appeals process. Despite this difficult ending, Mallory felt a strong sense of satisfaction knowing that Abrea and Ashley would receive justice even if they could not be alive to experience it themselves, which is why she had tried so hard to defend them. She put a lot of effort into making sure that the victims' voices were heard and their justice was served. This brought closure to the tragedy, which the people who spoke or listened in that solemn courthouse would never forget. Young women joining me now exclusively is Lois Brown, the mother of one of the kidnapped women, Abria Brown. Lois, first of all, my heart goes out to you. I know that you are living a nightmare. I know you're here because you want to find your daughter. So tell us what do you think happened and why? Why do you think your daughter was targeted? Well, what I think happened was that there was a jealous rage and he couldn't control himself and he was not thinking straight at all and he took something out on two innocent young ladies that they did not deserve. My daughter, Abria Carol Brown and, and Ashley Victoria Conway are innocent victims of a tragic situation that I cannot even explain. I can't comprehend how a person could even think in such a manner as to what he did to those two girls, to put them in the trunk of a car and kidnap them, let alone shoot at them in the first place. I cannot comprehend. We're going to get to I'm the rap really sheets the uh, of these suspects in a second. Um, but let's talk about sort of the face-off. Cops say Tuesday night there was a face-off of sorts between these two young women and these two alleged kidnappers, and then a third person uh, turned himself in later because he was being sought. The two men allegedly offered these women, uh, your daughter, 
and your sister, we're going to get to the other woman in a second, $5,000 to keep secrets and not testify in an upcoming trial. Cops believe these two women said no thanks, which is the right thing to do, to a bribe to not testify. No thanks to that $5,000. And that's when a gun was allegedly placed to the head of one of the women. So I want to go back now to our exclusive interview. We've got Lois Brown, the mother of one of the kidnapped women, and we've got Latrina Conaway, the sister of the other kidnapped woman. Uh, Latrina, yes. can you tell us uh, what sparked um, this um, offer of a bribe? Wasn't there an incident a couple of weeks earlier where uh, one of these suspects allegedly shot at one of the girls and then that ended up being the case that they told them not that to testify about? Tell us about that. That is correct. Well, um, pretty much what you have indicated is um, actually what happened. Um, yes. Ashley and Abria refused uh, not to accept the bribe, rightfully so, and to uh, continue their proceedings with the police investigation. Back to the allegation that the stepfather of one of the young women is not cooperating with police. A relative contacted 7 Action News and says that he told them everything he knows right after the crime, right after he saw the abduction, but he has since been threatened by those responsible and he is no longer speaking for his own safety because he has already said something. Charles McGinnis, Brown's stepfather, engaged in a fierce exchange of gunfire with the captors before they sped away. Reports revealed that one woman had sent text messages while in the car trunk just before her disappearance. Soon after, authorities discovered a charred vehicle near two corpses believed to be those of the missing girls. We have retrieved from a shallow grave the remains of two females matching the description of the missing girls, said Detroit Police Chief Ralph Godby. Conaway's former beau, Brandon Kane and Brian Lee, were arrested on accusations of attempted murder related to the vanished women. Kane also faced charges of assault with intent to cause great bodily harm and felonious assault. Although both men were incarcerated in Wayne County Jail on $500,000 cash bond, they had yet to be charged for the kidnap. Conaway had refused Kane's offer of $5,000 not to take legal action against him regarding their failed relationship, leading to their abduction and subsequent death days later. Louis Brown's grandmother had been informed, devastating her 84-year-old mother, Joyce Watson, who knew her granddaughters couldn't have survived so long without help. All she wanted was closure. This is what Abby's sister said to Brandon Kane in the courtroom.
actually did not want to go home with you that night. Oh, because she did not want to come and lay with you and suck with you and be a part of you. She didn't want that, sir. And for that, you became angry at Ashley. How could you do that? How could you become so angry at the sweetest thing? She was so sweet. She was so kind. She was so beautiful, Brandon, and you know this. You had her by your side. She trusted you. Who? My baby sister would have never gone with five men. She wouldn't have never, but she trusted you, Brandon. It was something in your leadership that she saw in you. It was something in you, Brandon Kane, that she looked up to. Me, mother of five children, 30 years with one man. She saw something in you, Brandon Kane. And you took that. You took that and you took it and then you killed her. How could you do that, Brandon Kane? And then you thought, through your manipulation of being able to have the power and authority to call upon such someone as a lawyer that you have, that you thought that you would be able to utilize the judicial system as you did so many times before. But the merciful said your reign as a merciless master is over. Your reign as a one who shall kill and destroy is over, Brandon Kane. I waited for this day. I waited for this day for I may be able to speak from my family and speak to you to say it is over for you and you shall retire and make your permanent residence at Michigan Department of Corrections. And they shall welcome you, sir. They shall line up and dress real nice and real pretty for you, Mr. Dane. So to your family, to your sister, to your family, who I know that they did not create you and formulate you and give you all the good things that they breathed into you for you to become a monster. They didn't give that to you, so I hold no contempt for them. I hold no contempt. And even after I speak, Brandon Kane, I have forgiveness for you. So therefore I stand not in between the merciful Father and you, that he may be able to count you and to be able to read you line by line, order by order, and precept by precept, because there is no sin that you committed that is hidden from him. He shall see it all. And I thank you, your honorable Bonda Evans, for allowing me to be able to speak. I thank the team that led so diligently in bringing and apprehending this heinous man to the courtroom. Thank you. Listen closely to this week's episode and beyond. Repost, like, follow, share, and spread the word about No Tears for Black Girls on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.